All right, this week on Behind the Scenes, in studio we have Brian Blasco. This is the first of this type that we've done here. Um, this is a, it's a, it's an industry that's a little harder to give a tour through. Correct. So we're giving a tour through <laughs> the mind of, of Brian Blasco. Right. So you can kind of let our listeners know what the, what the lifestyle and the, the process, you know, process is like. Sure. So tell our viewers first who you are and then how'd you kind of get into this industry? Okay. Great question. Born and raised Youngstown, Ohio. I have been a professional speaker now for 26 years, so I am going to be 51 years old. This, no, what are we, no, November, So, which is shocking because I know I look like I'm in my 20s still. Of course, I was so just going to say that. I have been doing this forever. My original goal, so no one wakes up, Joe, and says, I believe, in my career, I want to be a motivational speaker, right? kids when they're young, I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, an engineer, a welder, whatever. But in my industry, it's, it's rare to find someone who knows from the beginning at an early age that they want to do what they want to do. And I am in that realm. I did not wake up and say, I want to be a professional speaker one day. My original goal to get to back to your question was, how did I start? I was going to be a college professor. So my goal was to get a PhD. I went to Youngstown State for undergrad, went to the University of Akron for grad school. When I finished grad school, the university hired me on as a part-time faculty member, and I taught for a year and a half public speaking courses, communication courses. I loved it. I thought, okay, this is it. I was just taking a few postgraduate PhD courses. I was about to start the PhD program, and one of my professors, and we talked about this before, a mentor of mine named Dr. Andy Ranser brought me into his office, sat me down, and said, listen, we love having you here. Get the hell out. I go, what do you mean, doc? Are you firing me? He's like, no, you should take your show on the road. So that day in his office, I decided I'm going to stop the academia route. I'm not going to pursue the PhD. I'm going to go into the world of professional speaking and 20, well, longer than 26, but I say 26 as a professional speaker. I've been doing it for longer than that. Here I am today. And Now, now as, a, as a kid, were, were you outspoken, introvert, mm. extrovert, like... Right. So fourth grade, I had a spot in the corner because I talked too much. So me and three of my buddies each took four corner spots <laughs> in the room, and that's where we sat the entire year. So I was always very talkative, very lively, very hyper. Uh, I always tell people if I were born today, I'd probably be on some form of medication. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but back then, he was just hyper kid. So I remember one time in fourth grade, we, we were in the corner, and the teacher said we were invisible... So I convinced my friends to get up at one point during class and walk around the room. And the teacher went crazy. And I go, wait, wait, you can't see us. We're invisible. <laughs> <laughs> she did not like that. No. So I've always been talkative. In high school, I was on the speech team. I enjoy theater. I cannot sing. I can speak, but I can't sing. Some people think, oh, you can sing. No, not a singer. I know my limitations. What was, it, what was a role that you've played that allowed you to show your gifts? Because it has to be like a Shakespearean something with, because you're a great orator. I, th I think that your, your speech is amazing. Well, thank you. Public speaking started, I have to give credit to Diane Mastronard. She was a teacher at Cardinal Mooney when I went to high school. And she kind of saw something in me in sophomore year. Uh, I was playing basketball. And ironically, her husband was the coach for the basketball team. And they used to fight back and forth about who's going to get me because he wanted me to play basketball. Speech season was during the same time, so on and so forth. So eventually she won. 
And I'm thankful to her because she's probably the biggest reason I do what I do today. So shout out to you, Diane Mastronard. Shout out to Dr. Andy Ranser. I always have enjoyed speaking. I truly never realized I can make a career out of it. And literally, public speaking to me, people always ask this question. I want to do what you do. How can I do what you do? And my response is this. If you can have a conversation with someone like we're having right now, you can be a public speaker. Because when I give a speech, whether it's 200 people or 2,000 people, I literally deliver the speech like we're having a conversation right now. It's no different. So I always say, if you can talk to one person, you could talk to 1,000. Take us to the day in the life of. Wow. So tomorrow I'm flying to West Palm Beach. I will be in and out. It's a short trip. Usually when I'm on the road, it's two or three days, depending on what the clientele's needs and wants are. So my biggest client who I love, they are a healthcare organization called CareRight. Wonderful people great organization. I've been working with them for numerous years. And a couple years ago, we brought me on more permanently and said, okay, I'm going to be your in-house motivational, inspirational speaker. So every time I go out on the road for them, I will go into a building and I will spend two or three days with the staff, everyone, line staff, kitchen, housekeeping, maintenance, dietary, doctor, nurse, occupational therapist, physical therapist, speech therapist, respiratory therapist, anyone in that building will go through one of my sessions. And every time I go to the building, I bring a new session. So for example, tomorrow I will fly to West Palm Beach in the morning, 6 a.m. flight early, land, get my rental car, drive to the building. I will do a speech at 10.30 a.m., 11.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., 2.30 p.m. So I'll do four for that shift. I'll go back to my hotel, I'll chill out, I'll relax, then I will go back for the second and third shift. So I told them when they hired me, I will go to your people. So there are times where I'm delivering speeches at two in the morning to staff because that midnight shift is just to me as important as the day shift because they have the same trials and tribulations. And for them to hear a positive message at one o'clock in the morning, I think is a good thing. So I'll do those gigs at night and then I'll go to bed, wake up, do it all over again because there are so many people in the buildings that we have smaller groups. Okay, I can go to Blasco session at 10.30. I can't go at 10.30, but I'll hit the 11.30. So it's kind of like Groundhog Day. I literally do the same speech the entire time I'm there, whether it's this group or that group, because I'm an equal opportunity speaker. I think everyone needs to hear the same message. And then next time I go back to the building, I'll check my sheets and say, okay, last time they had team building. This time I'm going to give them customer care. Next time I'll give them leadership. Next time I'll give them communication skills. Next time I'll give them personal development. So It's rough. I'm on the road a tremendous amount. I'm home more than I'm not, though, believe it or not. But when I'm on, I'm on. All right, so here I'm going to shoot you a problem. I want you to help me solve this real quick. So I went into television station one day to do an interview, sat down with the reporter. Uh, They got me mic'd up. They asked me the question. I responded. It was one of the best presentations that I've ever done. And then the reporter said, okay, you ready to do this for real now? And I blanked because my brain got wrapped around the fact that I did a really good one and I'm never going to be able to replicate the same thing that I just did. And it was probably one of the worst interviews the second time around. Okay. So you're doing four a day. How can they all be gems? That's a good question. So to me, every audience is different. So I feed off the audience. If this audience is laughing real hard about this, I'll go in that direction. Keep going. If I realize I've lost them in this direction, I will switch gears in mid-speech and go in this direction. Okay. So there was a musician, I forget who he was, but he was asked the question, what was your best concert ever? 
And his response was, the last one I just did. <laughs> right. So every time he went into Got a performance, a he said, that was the best performance I ever had. So I do understand what it's like to sometimes be put on that spot with regards to, I just kicked butt on this interview. Now they're asking me to do it for real. How can I make this? But we beat ourselves up way more than we should. So you probably think it was the worst interview, but to someone else, it may have been the best interview they ever seen. So I don't go into situations and I try not to change myself too much for my audience. And what I mean by that is I will accommodate an audience or I'll accommodate a, a person, but I will always stay true to who I am. Let's say I have 500 people in a room. I'm doing a big keynote presentation because a lot of times with regards to my business, not only am I in the healthcare field doing stuff on a smaller scale, some of my other clients I deal with, real estate companies, numerous organizations, they'll hire me in for like a big keynote for a conference. They're having a three-day conference in Chicago. They need a keynote speaker for an hour. So I'm the guy who kicks off the conference or closes the conference. And I love that because it's purely motivational. But getting back to, to what I was originally going towards was every time I think, well, there's 500 people, this percentage is not going to like me, no matter what. I don't care how good it is. They want to beat me up in the parking lot. Then there's this percentage who enjoyed everything I did. Well, Usually, the, the percentage that enjoyed me is bigger than those who maybe did not. And I have to ask myself, do I change for this 4% who didn't like me? Or do I stay true and loyal to the 96 who did? Because the moment I change for this 4%, I just lost the 96 I had. So you're going to take me or leave me. I always tell people, I don't know everything. What I know, I'll share with you. And then I just want you to take that advice and information and run with it. This episode was brought to you by Youngstown Computer, the Valley's technology company. We appreciate the loyalty and all you have shown us over the years, and it's our promise to serve all the technology needs of the Valley. Call 330-259-7278. We have both home and business services available. Everything from repair, installations, and new equipment. You can improve your Wi-Fi and have technology serve you better. Call 330-259-7278, or you can schedule your appointment right now on youngstowncomputer.com and look for the red Book Now button. So with everybody being able to create content on YouTube, on social media, you know, words have gotten pretty cheap. Music has gotten pretty cheap. Mm. You know, the display and performance has gotten pretty cheap. So you've done it professionally, and you've kind of stood ahead of that. So do you think... Um, they, you know, like life is going to get easier for people who want to do this because of it decentralized and open to do it. Or do you think it's going to harder for the person who wants to get started? The person who wants to get started in my industry. I believe there will always be a need for live entertainment, whether that entertainment is singing music or professional speaking. Will AI ever replace the professional speaker? I believe not. I believe you could only have so much human interaction if it's with another human being. So during the pandemic, 2020, I was shut down. I mean, think about my industry, it's live, it's in person. The moment that pandemic hit, boom, I lost all my clients, every conference was canceled. Thankfully, my big client, CareRight, kept me on. And they said, we're gonna have you do coaching, one-on-one -on -one with the administrators, the directors of nursing, we're gonna have you do Zooms. And those were wonderful, I connected with them but it was not a connection like when I'm in that building right. doing live. So I think anyone who wants to get into my business, and I always say, people out there want to know numerous things. If you have a seminar, 
on how to tie your shoe a different way, you could find 50 people who will sit and listen to that program. So whatever your message is, whether it's perseverance, happiness, kindness, there's an audience who wants to hear it. So I, I believe to answer your question, there will always be a need for professional speakers to kick off programs, to MC events, because I like to MC events too. I don't have to have the spotlight. Don't get me wrong. I love the spotlight, but I don't have to. There are a lot of my clients who will just bring me into MC, keep the two or three day conference going. I'm that person who gets up and introduces the next speaker, introduces this, tells them where they're going next. Breakout sessions are happening here. Breaks, And I love that too. That's fun. All right, let's talk about uh, your origin of, of sort of like inspiration. So um, are you reading the newspaper to find out what you need to talk about most? Is it hitting you in the, you know, at night when you're sleeping and you got the pad next to the, the, I do. On the nightstand? Um, I'm one of those people who always constantly writes things down. Uh, I have a notepad and pen in my car. I have a notepad and pen in my office, which is kind of in my bedroom because it's kind of like my house isn't that big, so I put the office right in the bedroom. So there have been numerous times where I've jumped out of bed, walked over to my right desk, to the office. And, and right to the <laughs> office. I'm here, and I, I have scrolled things down. I am always looking for new ideas and content, but let's be honest, Joe. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Dale Carnegie, Earl Nightingale, uh, Zig Ziglar, Stephen Covey, Anthony Robbins, Brian Belasco were all saying the same thing. It's just saying it in a different way. I mean, think about it. Socrates and Aristotle were professional speakers. Every speaker since them has taken their information and just gone in a separate direction. Never do you want to steal someone's information, but the concept of team building has been around forever. The concept of leadership has been around forever. So if you do say something that was said by someone else, I always believe you should give them the credit. So anytime I put a quote out there or something, if, if, if it's my original time or quote, I'll always put Brian Blasco underneath it. Otherwise, I'll give the, the author the credit. Or if it's unknown, I'll say this is not my material, but so-and-so has said this before. It's kind of like a comedian. So every, I always think, to me, that would be the toughest job. I would love to be a comedian. I get laughs, but it's more through the process. I think to be a good comedian, within 20 minutes, you need laughs immediately. So I can, because I've had people say, are you a comedian? No, I'm funny, I'm goofy, I'm a maniac, but I'm not a comedian. But being able to take an idea or concept and run with it in a different direction, to me is just, I don't know, it's powerful. And uh, it's something I'm always trying to think, I need more material. And then I think, no, I don't. No, I don't. The material I have is good. I'll tweak it. I'll twist it. But why reinvent the wheel? I have like seven canned speeches up here that I can pop off. I can do one on leadership right now for an hour to five hours. I could do one on team building for five hours to two hours. I could do one on customer care for two hours to four hours. I could do one on communication skills. I could do one on relationship. I could do numerous. But I don't need new content. And th these aren't scripted from start to finish they're assembly of smaller ideas correct. that are connected correct to little outline formats here okay. and there um when i do a presentation I, I rarely use powerpoint nothing against technology and powerpoint but uh i want that audience to see and hear me not be staring at a screen the entire time so if a client does want powerpoint or if i do have powerpoint it's literally a few words a few pictures i'll pop up at one point when i do my cruising through life at 35 mile per hour speech which is my favorite speech. It's based off the first book I wrote. It's just an analogy of humans and cars. So 
bottom line is I think we're just like the cars we drive. We need oil changes. We need tune-ups. We need help over life's potholes and speed bumps. But on a larger scale, I consider companies, industries to also be like vehicles. And the people in the company are the engine that help that organization run smoothly. So my goal is to give them some gas to propel themselves into the future. So I do this one thing on potholes, and I have probably 10 different pictures of potholes I have found over the years where people have taken potholes and made things from them. Like one has, it's a swimming pool with Barbie and Ken in it. One has beer with ice, like a cooler. There's another pothole where someone's washing a dog. Another pothole where someone's eating spaghetti and meatball. Another pothole. So it's, I, I have stuff like that pop up in the background to kind of move me along. But face-to-face to me is the best. All right. So from a practice versus technical. So content versus presentation. So how, how can you take me through your <laughs> regimen of practicing your skill set, making sure that your deliveries are where they need to be and on point. Uh, take, take me through that a little bit. Okay. So not going to lie, 98% of my presentation is literally natural. I don't stand in front of a mirror. I don't use Diction courses, nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I don't sit there and say, the cat crawled over the, fa-, you know what I mean, where something, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Right. When a client says, what do you want on stage? I go, just give me a bottle of water. What room temperature? I go, room temperature? Green M&Ms, please. Right, right. I have no rider. I'm very easy. I go, I, I, you could put ice in it. You want ice? Because there are some speakers. Again, everyone has their thing. I'm low maintenance. My mental preparation for a speech is not so much the delivery, the dynamics, because that, thank God, is there. It's just always been within me. The content is where I will make sure I really do my homework. So if I'm doing an organizational client, let's say I'm doing something for FedEx. Now, I don't know package industry, but I have been a receiver of packages. And someone asked me that question before. Well, how can you speak in our industry if you don't know our industry? And my response is, you're right. I don't know necessarily your industry, but I know human beings. And last I checked, you had human beings working in your industry. So I could do a speech for a nursing home, a hospital, FedEx, a real estate company, or corporate America. To me, it's people, people, people. Now, I will always do my homework and figure out what those needs and wants are, what the client wants. Sometimes we just want pure motivation. Make them laugh, make them smile. Okay. All right, we want motivation, but we want you to massage leadership into it. So I'll take all my leadership stuff, throw it in there. We want motivation. We want them to laugh, but we want you to focus on team building. So I'll take all that. So my biggest prep is the content, not the delivery style. This episode was brought to you by Youngstown Computer, the Valley's technology company. We appreciate the loyalty and all you have shown us over the years, and it's our promise to serve all the technology needs of the Valley. Call 330-259-7278. We have both home and business services available. Everything from repair, installations, and new equipment. You can improve your Wi-Fi and have technology serve you better. Call 330-259-7278. Or you can schedule your appointment right now on youngstowncomputer.com and look for the red Book Now button. Talk, talk to me about sort of like the different crowds that you've been in from. Some probably early on were smaller. Now you've, it, you've got more numbers, more, you know, placeholders there. So t- tell me about crowd sizes. Yep. So crowd sizes are always fun. I, I enjoy 100 to 200. To me, it's intimate, still large enough, good energy. I like more people because I like the energy. Yeah. Uh, I feed off that. Uh, but at the same time, if you have 200 people and no one's laughing or no one's engaged, then the energy can go <laughs> 
So a lot of my gigs, we'll call them, um, are big keynote speeches. But like I said, when I do an organizational program for my healthcare clients, I'll have 10 people, 12 people, five people, six people. And those are really intimate because I could really just be sitting down with them at a table and having a conversation. But I do enjoy that one to 200 people, 500 is nice, thousand, couple thousand. It's, it's all good. But in the beginning, it was, I would talk to anyone, you know, the Elks Club, the Lodge, uh, the Secret Society of Sister Nuns, whoever needed a program, right. and I still do that. I still do that. I will have clients call me and say, listen, we have, uh, um, whatever, 400 high school students like yourself who need to hear a message. We don't have a budget. Okay, whatever. Or I'll have a client say, um, you know, we have this. I don't mind helping out if I'm home and I can do it and it's right down the street. doesn't matter. So I, <clears throat> I do like the audience size to be couple hundreds nice. One of my favorite, one of my first ones, I'm not going to say my favorite because it was terrible in the moment, <laughs> but it was a uh, financial literacy class that I was brought in, in to teach and uh, one person showed up and it, and, and I was like, I'm, this has a capacity for a hundred people to show up. So my brain's wrapped around that there's going to be this many people. And I'm like, nothing I wrote down is going to work in a one person thing. Mm. We might as well sit down to just have a table discussion right. and throw the whole thing out Did the you? window. I, I, you know, threw my heart into it as if there were a hundred of them. Okay. Cause I told myself before I went and started doing it that, you know, I asked to be put on stage and this is like a test to whether or not I really want to be on that stage. And if I'm not willing to do it for one, I'm not willing, I, I'm not going to get the thousand. Well, that's good self-discovery. Right. Because to me, it, you should deliver a speech to the one as if it were a thousand Absolutely. like you did. Right, 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 right. I like that. Uh, what's how about you now? We're gonna switch. Re oh, do you like big audiences? Do you like big audiences? I do. Do you like yeah. being in front? Yeah, you feed off that it, for sure. Yeah, I love it. I always tell people I got the best job. They go, why? I go, rarely can you find a job where before my workday starts, people clap. Yep. When my workday, sixty minutes, ninety minutes speech is over. Imagine if you walked into the office every day <clears throat> and people. Started clapping when you came in. <clears throat> and when you left, they, now sometimes they might clap because <clears throat> they want you to leave, but <clears throat> it's just a great job. I mean, I, I just start my work day walking on stage or wherever it is, <clears throat> and they're clapping already. That fuels me. And I always tell people, that nervous energy you get, I call it the butterfly effect, yeah. everyone has it. I have delivered thousands of speeches, thousands. I still get that feeling in my stomach every time. And I'm glad I do because the day I go into a, a program or presentation where I think I'm so confident and don't have that butterfly feeling oh, yeah. is the day I fail. But here's the thing, Joe. Most people perceive that butterfly feeling to be bad, but it's not. It's like your wedding day. You're married, right? Mm -hmm. Did you have butterflies on your wedding day? Sure. Right. But it wasn't like, no, I don't want to go down the altar. It was like, woo, something cool is happening. Right. You celebrate Christmas mm -hmm. when you were a kid, Christmas Eve. Did you go to bed with butterflies? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you knew. So I tell people it's the same feeling. You just got to take those butterflies and use them. So every time I deliver a presentation and I feel that, I go, ooh, yeah, baby. I'm going to let it come out my voice, my face, my walk, my talk. Other people take that same energy. Yeah. <laughs> they let it come out in negative yeah. ways. Right. So I tell people, because that's the number one fear in this country you've heard that before oh, right yeah. it supersedes death and spiders they someone made the joke and it wasn't me that most people would rather be the person reading or in the casket rather than reading the eulogy right because oh yeah fear of public speaking so i tell anyone at any time that nervous 
energy you feel, that butterfly feeling is a good thing. Next time you have to go in front of an audience, take that and use it. Let it come out in your face, your walk, your talk. So I, I consider what you do more of, more of an artistic sort of like pursuit. Uh, and we worked with a couple of, of artists they love painting. They love mm -hmm. spending a time painting. But when they get put on a production schedule where they get to churn out five, you know, perfect pieces of artwork, it feels like a job to them. And they don't like it as much when they have to do it. Pressure. Right. That's a good point. Well, you know what? If I'm out somewhere and someone says, hey, it's Blasco. Come on. Give us a motivational moment. Make us feel good. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't. Because it's like telling a comedian, <clears throat> make me laugh right now. So I get it. You're right. I, if I feel pressured into having to motivate someone or I don't like it as much. I just, if the audience already knows whether they like me or not, that they're going to have to hear a motivational speaker. And some people, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a bad stigma. I mean, I consider myself a motivational speaker, but I categorize myself as a professional speaker. So I always tell people, when you introduce me, just introduce me as a professional speaker. Because the moment you say motivational speaker, a lot of people have an image. Whether it's Chris Farley, down by the river, you know, <laughs> right? it's, it's the best. Speech. I know, it's I know, the best. I know. My buddy Rob Palowitz, shout out to you, Rob, came dressed as uh, Chris Farley. Um, I forget what was his name. What's his name in that skit, Saturday Night Live? Anyway, I had a Halloween party. He came dressed as him. Lives in a van down by the river. So I, I get it. I, I can see it. If an artist feels like they have to produce, it, it becomes less fun, and that makes sense. So I naturally, if I have to do a program and it's scheduled and everything's going smooth, it's easier for me than if I'm put on the spot. Now, can I be put on the spot and do something? Sure. I've been places and someone says, let him give the toast, right? <laughs> oh, he's a professional speaker. Let, so I get up and they're expecting this beautiful toast. And, and I'm, again, not saying it can't be beautiful, but it's probably not the same thing as if I were prepared a little bit. Impromptu right. is good, though. Yeah, for sure. So going forward, let, tell, tell me about what the future looks like, what your goals and wishes are, where do you think you're going to be a couple years from now? Okay, I will be sitting here in the studio, probably having a conversation there you with go. you. I'm going to be a professional speaker for a lot of years. I'm 50 years old. I can probably run this till I'm in the 70s, realistically. Think right. about Zig Ziglar and all those guys. I won't. I'll probably go till I'm about 65, 15 more years of motivating, I think. Um, I'm not an author, but I've written two books. I'm working on the third book right now. It's called Be Better. It's actually based on the last motivational minute I did. And that should be out hopefully winter or spring of next year. So I will not write probably any more books. I will always try to write content. But again, I'm not reinventing the wheel. So this is it. This is my career. Someday when I do retire from professional speaking and I get tired of traveling, which will probably be the reason. I mean, if I could speak in Youngstown, you hear me, Youngstown? If I could speak in Youngstown... Get more local companies to hire Brian Belasco. Hint, hint. It would be wonderful. The fact that you have me here and I have to travel all over the country is crazy. Now, I know every industry, every business can't afford me. But again, I, I just feel like I would love to do more local business. And I know you love the local businesses. Heck, yeah. Yeah. So... The, for the 96% of people that absolutely love you and they want to get in touch with you and they want to book you and they want you to be involved, tell, tell people how to get a hold sure. of you. Sure. The best way is just go to my website. It's brianblasco.com. There are videos. Uh, there are testimonials. All my programs that I deliver are on there. If you want me to customize and tailor a program specifically to your needs, I can do that as well. And a lot of clients will say, well, we want this program, but we want you to massage this message into it. No worries. I'll take all that information 
and I'll throw it right into the speech without the audience even knowing it because I don't want to beat them over the head with it, but I, I'll massage it. So, BrianBelasco.com. All right, Brian. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Joe. It.